give a student freedom to pursue something that is in their heart, is in their mind, they're going to learn better. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, we are on episode 270. Is that amazing? You know, every now and then you ask me, what episode are we on? And I say, "Mm, I don't know, 200-something, because I know what we did for our 200th podcast. We did an in-studio, and it was really great. We didn't ask Andrew anything with the parents and students from our Structure and Style for Students course. I remember that, and that's why I know we have at least 200 episodes. But 270, that's a good run. What do you think we'll get to before it's all over? (laughs) 500? Uh, 1,000? I I think we can go to 500, and we'll we'll see what happens after that. You're you're the goal-oriented girl around here. so It's true, but sometimes when you're dealing with podcasts and the guy that travels, a lot or the guy that's busy writing a lot. <laughs> well, well, we'll just plan a big party for 500. 500. That sounds yeah. great. We'll do, right. it. we'll do it good. But now we're actually approaching 300 at 270, mm-hmm. which means this one and two more Ask Andrew Anythings. I always so, look forward to that. Yeah, we have a tradition that every 10th episode we invite, well, we invite people to submit questions every single time at the end of every show, and I'm going to do it at the middle of the show, too. Please, if you have any questions for Andrew, go ahead and submit them to podcast at IEW.com, and we'll try and answer it on the air. And so that's what we're doing today. Okay. I hope you've got some interesting and challenging questions. I I definitely have challenging and interesting questions. The listeners understand, I don't know these questions. No. This is live. Yeah. Yeah. He. uh, I mean, it's recorded, but it's live in the fact that I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, he, he can read upside down, and so my paper is far enough away from him that he can't read what I'm, he can't see what I'm reading. So, okay, we're going to start off with some high school student type questions. Okay. Okay. So we have a lot of high schoolers using IEW, and the first one, first question asks, this is Drew, she asks, what are some practical ways to engage my apathetic high school student with poetry. Well, that is a little bit of a hard question. If you Mm -hmm. don't experience poetry when you're younger, Mm -hmm. it is harder to get into it later. I think one of the basic rules would apply is try to capture the imagination before you deal with the language. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what she's hoping for Mm -hmm. in terms of getting a teenager involved or interested or engaged with poetry, uh, there are three areas you could look at. One would be memorizing, learning, memorizing, Mm -hmm. practicing, reciting poetry. Another area would be reading poetry 
and presumably enjoying that. And then the third area would be trying to analyze poetry. So I would put those in in that order mm-hmm. of importance. If you're jumping in saying, let's analyze a poem before you really have an affinity for poetry in general, it's a disconnect, mm-hmm. especially for a teenager, especially for a teenage boy whose interests are starting to become more distinct. And when you say, use your time this way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they don't care because they have other things they want to do with their time, mm-hmm. it's a hard sell. And I'm not even sure it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I do believe the first step in appreciating poetry is to memorize some of it. Mm-hmm. And the first type of poem to start with is the one that has a storyline, you know, a narrative poem or some kind of historical relevancy. I'm thinking Paul Revere's Ride or Charge of the Light Brigade. Well, and you mentioned Charge of the Light Brigade. I I have a good friend who was inspired by your poetry talk many years ago, and she didn't go week one, poem one, level one, ooey gooey was a worm. I don't even know what level it was, but she had a teenage son, and mm-hmm. she said, son, we're doing Charge of the Light Brigade, yeah. and he loved it. Great. He loved getting that imagination, you know. You know, that one, and then humor, mm-hmm. you know, the poems that have a humorous element to them. And what I have noticed again and again is that if you memorize some poems that tell a story or entertain, mm-hmm. and you share that with people— mm-hmm the positive response you get encourages you to go for more poems Mm -hmm. and perhaps, you know, expand into poems that have some classic quality or artistic value that isn't quite so immediate. So, you know, it's like teaching music. Start with the piece that's kind of fun and exciting or dramatic, and gradually you can expand the repertoire. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. After you have memorized a few poems, you feel like, okay, poems make sense to me now. They can tell a story. They can evoke emotion. They can make you laugh. They can connect you with a period of history. And then when you read poems, you're more likely to have that same response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The thing you, I, I believe, have to be very careful about, and this is true of all literature, whether it's short stories, poems, novels, great books, don't jump into trying to analyze them in that academic sense. Mm -hmm. So let's learn about meter and rhyme scheme and imagery that's contained and poetic devices and do all that kind of thing you'd get in a maybe a high school English curriculum or something. Mm -hmm. If you do that first, it's a little bit like dissecting a fish Mm -hmm. as opposed to fishing. Right. Which one would a teenager be attracted to first? I'm not sure. It might depend on the child. But most would say, hey, let's learn about catching fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get into the experience side rather than the academic side. Right. So those are a few thoughts. And, mm-hmm. you know, also at a certain point you do have to just say, if I'm really getting pushed back with this child at this age, is it worth fighting this battle? Mm-hmm. Is it worth spending the time and forcing it? Or will we hope that a new window of opportunity opens up later mm-hmm. and not push it at the moment? 
Right, right. You have a talk that you give, and uh, and I don't remember which talk it contains, but there's kind of a this idea that once they get to a certain age, you want your students to direct their own education. Um, is that in the seven keys of great teaching? Well, I think that's something I mentioned in various ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you know, have pointed out that in terms of relevancy, mm-hmm. right? There's <clears throat> intrinsic, inspired, contrived, and enforced relevancies. Mm-hmm. And we can refer people to the series on motivation. Right, yep. But that that intrinsic or inspired is where you get the best learning. Yep. So if you can give a student freedom to pursue something that is in their heart, is in their mind, they're going to learn better Mm -hmm. than if you say you have to do this regardless of their level of interest. Now, there's all sorts of things we have to do that we're not fascinated with. And, And so I'm not talking about the discipline of doing things you don't want to do. Sure. I mean, that's normal in life. <laughs> That's life, yes. <laughs> but what I am talking about is the h- how lasting is the learning that happens mm-hmm. when you're engaged, it's going to last a lot longer. You're mm-hmm. going to go deeper. You're going to be more excited. You're going to want to share that. Consequently, there's going to be the opportunity to teach or tell and make that learning even more concrete. Yep, yep. And if you have a student who isn't intrinsically interested, then can you find someone or something that can inspire them in that way? Right, right. And, uh, you know, that's why I think, you know, with with our approach to poetry, we say start with these poems that catch the imagination Mm -hmm. and then try to create opportunity for a, a child to share the accomplishment with someone else. Yeah, exactly. You tell that story of the, uh, I think it was a boy. Oh, in the Boy Scout camp. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to memorize poems at all, Mm -hmm. but his mom made him do it. And then he went to Boy Scout camp and he came home and he goes, Mom, I've got to learn a bunch of new poems for next year. (laughs) Because he was the most popular kid around the campfire. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that anytime we we gain something, Mm -hmm. whether by grace or by hard work or a mm-hmm. combination thereof, when we have a chance to share it, yep. that gain is even more meaningful. Yep. Good. All right. This one is kind of teen-related. It may or may not. The question is, at what point or how do you know when it's time to graduate students from the checklist? Now, of course, they're talking about our IEW right. style checklist where we that we require all the dress-ups in every paragraph, all the sentence openers as possible in every paragraph, decorations sprinkled in. When When is it okay for a student to stop using the checklist? Yeah, so in the teaching writing instruction style, I explain that. I require the students to do everything on the checklist that they have learned so far, that which has become easy, plus one. And and then at a certain point, there's no more plus one. There's just everything. Right. So I would require them to do everything in every paragraph of every composition with very few exceptions. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about exceptions someday mm-hmm. until one of two things happens. One thing is they leave your control. Right. The the student goes off to high school class or college class or they just stop listening to you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at which point you're done. And what you've taught, you've taught. What they've got, they've got. And 
okay, life moves on. But the second thing would be when they graduate from the checklist because they can do everything and it's pretty easy. So that's the point where you'd say, okay, we've accomplished the goals of the STYLE program. Mm -hmm. We've accomplished the objective of mastering this set of, well, I suppose if you look at it, 20, 20 or so mm-hmm. specific things. Which is quite a bit fewer than what Dr. Webster originally had on his checklist. Right? Well, no, I'm thinking about it. Okay, you've got the six dress-ups plus mm-hmm. a couple advanced ones. Mm. You've got the six sentence openers plus a couple optional ones. And then you've got a set of decorations and the idea of triples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much completes the style checklist. Mm-hmm. So if you can do all of those things... Mm-hmm. Not all the decorations, but one of the options. Not all of the triples, but one of those options. You're looking at a checklist with maybe 12 to 15 things. I see, right. And then there's the things you didn't use. So I'm just ballpark it. Let's say there's 20 things, and you can do all those things, Mm -hmm. and you can make it work. You can engineer, if you will, a paragraph to say what it's supposed to say and fit in all that style. Well, you, you've done it. You've, you've accomplished the exercise. And I've used the analogy of playing scales and etudes or running mm-hmm. with weights or following recipes. We've mm-hmm. talked about cooking. At that point, you say, take off the weights. I don't need the recipe. Uh, I, I've accomplished the goal of these exercises. Mm-hmm. Okay, now go do what you want. But the general guideline would be, you know, you want to keep with the checklist until doing everything is relatively easy. easy. Yep. And my definition, as many people have heard many times, is the student can do it without much help, and it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. So for some students, that's going to come maybe after three or four years mm-hmm. of working with structure and style. Mm-hmm. Other students who are starting older, mm-hmm. maybe they get it in one or two years just because they're operating more like adults. Mm-hmm. And then other students may never get it by Mm -hmm. the end of your time with them, whether that's in the home or the classroom. But what we can know for sure uh, is that whatever a student takes away into another writing environment will serve them well. Mm -hmm. They won't necessarily remember everything that they practiced on that checklist, but they will be writing a paper for such and such a class and it'll pop into their head and say, oh, here's a perfect chance to do an ING opener. Mm -hmm. Or, whoa, this would be a great little simile to fit in here. Mm -hmm. And so because they've practiced with all those tools, the familiarity is much more likely to empower them as they go off and kind of do whatever they have to or do whatever they want to later when they're free of the The highly structured system, the weights of the checklist. Yeah, good. Okay, good. I hope that helps. Okay, that was from Jennifer. So let's see what Stacy asks. This is actually kind of a product question, so you might throw this right back at me, but I I would then throw it to you. Okay. Stacy asks, have you ever thought about making a version of the phonetic zoo spelling cards that students can color? Do you see an advantage to that? They could color the cards Mm -hmm. right now, 
I have never really been a coloring person. <laughs> um, I'm sure I did it when I was young, and I'm pretty sure I stopped doing it when I was fairly young. But I know they sell like coloring books for adults mm-hmm, as kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. a therapeutic approach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, contemplation, if you will. So I don't see any reason we couldn't take some of those animal images mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. put them in a PDF coloring book and mm-hmm. I mean it's possible there you go okay. we, we just have a lot of things we want to do and I'm not sure that would make it high enough up on the checklist but it's true certainly uh, she could use the existing cards and mm-hmm. photocopy the pictures and let the kid color them yes that's true and and it, it'd probably be more fun for a lot of kids to draw a zoo mm-hmm Right, So they start with maybe a big sheet of paper on the wall. Mm-hmm. And as they learn the rule, mm-hmm. uh, like lesson one is the Cayman AI and the Manta Ray mm-hmm. AY. Mm-hmm. And they could, you know, draw a Cayman. They'd have to know what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everyone knows about stingrays because of Steve Irwin's tragic end, right? Um, or Manta Rays or some kind of ray. Uh, and they could draw that on the big poster on the wall. Mm-hmm. And then every time they learn a new one, there's going to be an animal, and then you have this big poster with animals. That they can draw. Yeah. That would be good. I like that. So, yes, Stacy, we are working on a lot of secret projects right now, but I think circling back around <laughs> and maybe getting to coloring cards would be a fun idea. I like it. So here is a question that Claire asks, also related to our stylistic techniques, Mm -hmm. may also be related to a little bit of apathy, but this is related to, well, I'll just ask the question. What if students don't use the stylistic techniques when they are not required to do so? I don't care about that, really. I mean, I'm not asking students to do something I'm not asking them to do. Right, 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 yeah. So I'm teaching, and I'll teach whatever I teach. Mm -hmm. I've taught Latin. I've taught geometry. I've taught writing. I've taught music. And part of the process of teaching is demonstration, imitation, and then evaluation, which then helps you craft the next step of demonstration. Mm -hmm. So that's the assessment imitation feedback loop. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's enough a fairly formal context. Mm -hmm. It's the relationship between teacher, student, environments, objectives. Outside of that, why would I really care Mm -hmm. what they do? It's not my job as the teacher. As a parent, you're a little more attached, Mm. right? You're Mm -hmm. like, but, but, but you know how to do this, so why aren't you? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, there's lots of things I know how to do Mm -hmm. that I don't do. Right. I know how to clean the toilets, but I don't necessarily do it. I, you know, I know how to do all sorts of things, but is it important enough for me? Right. And I think we have to get into the mind of a child and say, they have their priorities Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And one of their priorities is to, you know, do school, Mm -hmm. right? As my kids would always say, you know, we have to do school. And that means play the game. Do what the teacher wants. Try to do your best. Mm -hmm. And there's motivational ideas that exist around that. But when you're not in school, for a child, that means I'm free. 
so I can do whatever I want and nobody's bossing me around. So I wouldn't worry very much about this, but I would say to you know this parent as well as all parents, we ourselves have to remain somewhat unattached mm. to the outcome of of our teaching in a child's life. Mm-hmm. You know, we just we do the best we can. Mm-hmm. But what they do with that mm-hmm. is their free will, mm-hmm. not our dictate. And the good news is they will all go through a period where whatever you think is important is not the most important thing for them. Right. And then they will go into another period when they're, you know, coming into the adulthood zone. And it's hard to stick an age on that because some kids move in like 13 or 14 and other kids don't seem to get there until... 25. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they do move into that and then they will reflect Mm -hmm. and they will say, ah, that was a good thing I learned and Mm -hmm. I can use that in this situation. I'm grateful. Right. And I think all of us who have adult children Mm -hmm. have experienced that moment where one or more of them will say something like, I know I really complained a lot when I was young, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but thank you, mom. Right, exactly. You know, thank you, parents, for making me do that mm-hmm. because it's really helping now. Yep. And that's just kind of a, you know, as a young parent, you don't, you don't experience that yet. So you just have to take the word of us older parents. It happens, and you don't, you don't have to have anxiety. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I I do think that as you when you do require a stylistic technique because you're using a checklist and as you say, you know, in the previous question, you know, until they are out of your class, they're going to be it's almost going to become habitual. It's almost going to be a part of who they are. That's that running with weights things and when it's not required, they don't have the weights anymore, but yet it might just pop in just very naturally sure and it will be just that much more affirming to you that they actually did it well and how many hundreds maybe thousands mm. of little testimonial emails letters conversations that we have received yes. from kids mm-hmm. who grew up doing some IEW for one or many years right and then want to be sure and let us know that now I'm in college and it's really helping me a lot oh, yeah. with my papers or yep. even in graduate school or yep. business. Yep. So everything you do will work toward a return on that investment, but not necessarily immediately or in the way or time frame mm-hmm. that you hope for or expect. Yep, yep. Okay, I have a question from an IEW, an official IEW instructor, which means she's probably accredited. Oh, great. She says, should I be commenting on every single missed comma, poor syntax, etc.? I err on the side of being way too helpful and leaving detailed feedback. So sometimes I can spend 30 minutes on one student's three paragraph paper. Mm. I'm worried about how much time it takes. Okay. Yeah. You can see yeah, this is Well, going. we've all been there mm-hmm. and it is easy to spend a lot of time Probably the most important distinction to make here mm-hmm. is comments versus editing. Mm-hmm. We can refer listeners to my talk on the four deadly errors yes. where this is unpacked a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If possible, 
And I have no objection to someone, whether it's a parent or an outside editor or a teacher, editing the paper and putting in or taking out every misplaced comma, mm -hmm. checking for what seems to be more prevalent today than in the past, uh, homonym problems, you know, words that sound the same but are mm -hmm. spelled differently. So they're technically wrong, but the spell checker didn't catch them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and just fixing that stuff, that mm -hmm. doesn't take a long time. What, what does take a long time is if you try to explain why you did that, mm -hmm. which I'm not interested in doing myself, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure it's really the best way mm -hmm. to teach anyone mm -hmm. because you end up writing all these little mini lectures in the margin. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can spend half an hour on one short little three-paragraph story, five-paragraph essay or yeah, something. exactly. And if you have a dozen students, you just wiped out a day of your life practically. Yes, and we've actually had conversations about why high school and college instructors do not give writing assignments because they're overwhelmed by the grading. Yeah, exactly. So if it's just editing, that means you fix it up and you hand it back. No lectures, mm -hmm. no explanations. Right. And then the student has to go and produce a more perfected version of that, mm -hmm. either by copying it over or more likely going back and putting those things in mm -hmm. as they have, you know, typed it with Word or whatever they used. Right, right. But in doing that, they do learn a little bit of information. Oh, there didn't need to be a comma there. Not why, but mm -hmm. there's one case. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, there did need to be a comma there. Or, oh, that's an incomplete sentence. I have to connect it up or finish it. Okay. And so all those little bits of information add up to a better understanding of the principle. Yep. And I think I have mentioned the idea I learned from Glenn Doman at the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential decades ago. Mm -hmm. He often would say in lectures, if you teach a child the facts, mm -hmm. they can intuit the laws. So if you teach by example, period, capital, period, capital, period, capital, period, capital, don't try to talk about mm -hmm. it's a complete thought, that's why, mm -hmm. just do it. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, they have to, uh, they will fix that and whatever it takes, whether it's 10 times or a thousand times, mm -hmm. they will reach a point of better understanding of the law. Mm -hmm. However, and the, the corollary to that that Glenn Doman would say, if you teach a child the laws or the governing principles, they will not necessarily identify the facts. Right. So teaching by example rather than principle uh, has very significant benefits. But we as adults always think that there's a shortcut, mm. right? Ooh, if I explain this well enough, then the student won't do that again. But <laughs> right. we've all been there banging yeah. our head against the wall, yeah. explaining something for the nth time. Right, exactly. And then it's Murphy's Law mm -hmm. that as soon as they have enough critical mass of illustrations, mm -hmm. someone else is going to explain the principle and they're going to go, oh, I finally understand this because it was someone else who explained it, whereas really it might have just been the repetition of yeah. seeing it, doing yeah, it. Exactly. Good. All right. So this is kind of related, a related question. This is from an online parent, a parent whose student is enrolled in one of our online classes. Mm -hmm. If I have to still edit 
the term was edit, edit my students' work, what is the purpose of having him take an online IEW class? Well, I, I suppose number one is just the external accountability. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember as a homeschool dad, I would give an assignment to one mm-hmm. of my kids and then they wouldn't do it mm-hmm. or they wouldn't do it when I said by the time they should have. Mm-hmm. And and then what do I do? You know, do I have to put some kind of, you know, consequence of unhappy mm-hmm. penalty? But yet maybe they had really good excuse. Like, well, mom took us and we had to drive around with her all day because, you know, we were late to this, and then I just right. didn't. And, you know, kids are so masterful at creating very viable excuses, mm-hmm. especially within a family unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I noticed is if I have a whole class of kids mm-hmm. and I give an assignment and one of my kids is in that class, well, now it's not just I have an excuse for dad. It's like, well, I'm going to be the only one in that class that didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So there's... The two things, there's the positive peer pressure, Mm -hmm. and then there's the impartial online teacher who really, I mean, is a lot more able to say, it's your job to get this done on time. Right, right. So there's the external accountability. Our teachers, of course, many of them have been doing this for many, many years. So they have insights that they can share with students. Mm -hmm. They have ways of... Uh, working with the the markup on the papers mm-hmm. that are going to be more efficient and possibly more effective than what I or you could do as a parent in mm-hmm. that same situation. Right. Well, and this parent is only being asked to do that second eyes on the paper edit, not actually give feedback on how they did with the IEW assignment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm I'm saying just hire an editor. Yep. To try and make it legal, don't right. don't worry about trying to teach a lot, make it good, right. re, big revisions. Right. That's where the online teacher is going to be able to pull out examples from different students in the class, mm-hmm. and then you know share that and say, now here's what you all could try next time. Yep, yep. So I want to end with one last question. Okay, it might be. A short answer, it might be a long answer, but we've got time for both. So however you want to answer this, Katrina asks, what brings you the most joy about IEW? Me personally? It's ask Andrew anything. They're not. She's not asking me. <laughs> well, I think obviously it's just the, the incredible, almost continuous and universal gratitude that yes. we that we receive from people who have done what we told them to do mm-hmm. and got a great result mm-hmm. whether that was something like thank you so much you saved my homeschool yeah i was about to give up but then i found your writing thing and it really transformed us mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. that's something that hits really close to my heart yeah or a teacher mm-hmm. who says, this has really helped me just bring the level of all my students mm-hmm. 
up mm-hmm. in a way I've never really been able to do before. Right. There's always, you know, high aptitude, talented kids. But when I hear teachers who say, but I was really able to help the kids who were most challenged in this area of, you know, writing and grammar. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where my heart is. Yes, yes. And, and of course, we see that a lot as we get into the world of dyslexic kids or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, special needs of some sort. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, when I see that the difference we has, have made is more than just academic, mm-hmm. but it's worked at the core of people's ability to make real changes in mm-hmm. attitude, aptitude, and ability. Oh, and I, I know that's very true, Andrew. I know that you definitely appreciate gratitude. You, I hear that often from you. And for that, I will say thank you for these great answers, and thank you for all you do for all of us here at ITU. Well, and thank you for <laughs> asking me any question that comes. <laughs> okay, until next time. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.